Hello and welcome to the show that really appreciates all your feedback but has no plans to sack the effing presenter right now. Thank you very much. On today's show, we finally lance the boil that is Sunderland. This weekend, they did something really weird. They won a game. Remember how Bristol Rovers thrashed Northampton 6-0 in their own backyard? They've lost six of the last seven league games since then. We speak to manager Daryl Clark. Are Wickham going up? Who is Eberecci Easy? And why are they called the Chairboys? Ian Barraclough's in the studio for answers to those and all the other questions. And it's all on the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill. All right. Hello, everybody. Matt, how are you? Very good. Thanks, Ian. Excellent. You look uh, luminescent. I went to the gym. <laughs> so, I'm really impressed. That's like two days in a row. That's uh, probably the end of that run. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I've ever got further. We are delighted to be joined by Ian Barraclough. How are you? Good morning. Thanks for having me on the show, yeah. No problem. It's an absolute pleasure. Um, you are, of course, the Northern Ireland Under-21 manager. Um, and things are a bit odd because it's not a team that's had a great deal of success at that level for, for a long time. But you're in the playoff places. Three wins out of four. We are at the moment. It's, uh, we're only halfway through the campaign, but it's, um, it's been an enjoyable first five games. And, and we've got some tougher games coming up, but um, we're, we're, we're certainly rolling with it, if you like. And, and hopefully we can build on the, the start that we've, we've got ourselves. It's been a fantastic start. I mean, you, you have got Spain under-21s coming up. I've, I've heard a bit about them. They're apparently quite good. Yeah, we've got them home and away. Um, I went to watch them, unfortunately, last week. Uh, they beat Slovakia 5-1, uh, and they turned it on second half. So uh, I wish I'd have got up at half-time and left the, <laughs> left the building. But it was, no, it was a good experience, and knowing what's coming up ahead is uh, is always beneficial. But, but they're, they're a good side. And, you know, for Northern Ireland, the under-21 level, we're perennial losers if you like that's how it was sold to me on the in, in the interview um <laughs> what was my interest in it but um no to win three games has been great and and to help the the young players hopefully develop for their international careers and you're a very well traveled manager for one so young um spells at scunthorpe uh motherwell um you won the title with sligo am i still young is that still close so. to being well, young you yeah, i'm happy with that yeah. as luminescent as matt is this morning um a lot of managers say that they don't like the you know the pace of international football, all the long breaks in between. Um, how are you coping with it? Well, it's still very new to me. So I, I got the job in May, um, and and it's it's getting used to those, like you say, long periods not being with players, and then all of a sudden it's manic for ten days or so because you you know you're with the, the group and you've possibly got a double header, so you're preparing for for both of those games. Uh, and when you're in the middle of it, it's enjoyable. Of course, it is. It's what you want to be. It's what you want to be out on the, the grass with the with the players and preparing for games, and then the the high of the game, and then dealing with the you know the the, the rest recuperation for the next one. Uh, and then all of a sudden, you become a professional scout, and you're, <laughs> you're going around the the country and watching games of football, visiting training grounds, speaking to players and coaches and, and managers, and it's um, I, I'm enjoying it. So you, you must get to see a lot of uh, football league football at um, the, I do. You know, the senior team and the. the I do at various teams. levels, and, and that's the beauty of, of Michael O'Neill has, has, has really brought me in as part of the part of the staff as a whole. Not just you know work with the under twenty ones, but watching games at senior level, um, and, and and giving feedback on on players and you know it's it's one big family really. It's, it's how it's it's got to be with Northern Ireland. You know, I think that the financial constraints has um, has been well documented. Even though you know getting to the Euros has, has swollen the coffers a little bit, but you know everyone has to muck in. 
And uh, have, have you got a sort of favourite football league team that you've you've been really enjoying watching this season? Not not as in favourite as in who you support, but somewhere you really like. You're going. asking me a question. I'd be upsetting a lot of people. I think if I picked up one, but <laughs> I I hadn't been back to QPR for a, a while actually, um, and because there's. Uh, senior players in in their first team at the moment, um, and because I've got three lads in the under twenty threes at QPR, I've probably been back to there more than any other club so far, and 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 I've always had a good welcome there. I've always been um, treated properly, if you like, and and um, I enjoy going to Loftus Road and 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 meeting with fans that that you know remember you for for the effort that you put in it wasn't successful at that stage what we when i was there but um we had some some good good moments well we'll find out how qpr did on monday night as we go into the anthemic music and the championship roundup Wolves are four points clear at the top of the league after a thumping 5-1 win over Bolton Wanderers. That's 40 goals for them already this season. They lead Cardiff, who beat Nottingham Forest 2-0 on Sunday, to pop back into the automatic promotion places. And what happened to Sheffield United? Well, after that extraordinary 4-5 defeat to Fulham in midweek, they were held at home by Birmingham. It's now three wins in a row for Aston Villa after they beat Ipswich 2-0 to climb within two points of automatic promotion. And it was sunshine on Leeds as they saw off Barnsley 2-0 with a little help from a fan who gave blinded goalkeeper Felix Wiedewald his cap for the second half. Sunderland have a win, their second of the season and first under Chris Coleman, leapfrogging Burton with a 2-0 victory at the Pirelli Stadium. Alex Neal's return to Norwich was not as happy as he'd hoped. His Preston side could only take a draw in a game that was more notable for the long-forgotten sight of a supporter taking the fourth official's role. Reading's 0-0 draw with Sheffield Wednesday wasn't really memorable for anything. Just one shot on target for each team. And last night, I half-watched Brentford's 2-0 victory over Queen's Park Rangers, switching off the telly in the first minute of injury time so I could concentrate on writing this show. Well done, Brentford. It wasn't another 5-4 thriller for Fulham as they hosted London rivals Millwall, but Savisa Jokanovic was satisfied with a 1-0 win that takes his side up to 12. Is the writing on the wall for Leonard Slutsky? The Hull boss said it would be normal for the club to sack him after the Tigers blew a 2-0 lead to lose 3-2 at home to Bristol City. And it's out of the frying pan into the fryer for Gary Monk, whose Middlesbrough side still can't break the habit of shooting themselves in the foot, losing 3-0 at home to Derby. Monk, fryer, habit, I need to work on my puns. You're fired. Um, <laughs> oh God! Um, let, let's spend just a moment on Brentford QPR. I really did turn off in the first minute of injury time. I got quite the surprise when I switched on my phone this morning. I was there last night. Oh, you were there. It was, um, yeah, and I missed the goals as well. <laughs> so <laughs> you I'll, left I'll, too. I did. Um, I went to get the tube to, to get back to the hotel, and it was um, the fan. The, there was wasn't just me. I can tell you, there was a lot of fans were leaving, and uh, the surprise as we were walking down the South Africa road was um, was immense. So. Yeah, no, you're not on your own. Ian Holloway, very cross um, with both sets of supporters uh, after that. So, um, yeah, well, well done, QPR. We didn't see that one coming at all. Let's turn our attention to something else we didn't see coming. Sunderland actually winning a game. This always gets said what a big club they are. They really are a very, very big club. Uh, in fact, according to the Daily Express, they're the 12th biggest club in England. 13th, according to Talk Sports. Uh, they have a 48,000 all-seater stadium. And the wonder with Sunderland, given the wretched, wretched football, is not that there's 20,000 empty seats, but that there's 28,000 full ones. Um, it's been appalling there, hasn't it, Matt? Yeah, it really has. It's been season after season of struggle, really. And Chris Coleman said after they won the game at the weekend that he told the players to go out and celebrate for 24 hours because they just needed to experience that feeling of, of relief and, and success. It's been on the cards. It's almost like this 
is like a cleansing that they needed because every year it's been like, you know when you build a sandcastle and the tide's coming in and, and you're trying to save it by building little sandy walls in front of it and just for a moment it looks like you've done it and then eventually it's all too much, the wall collapses and your ankle's deep in grey water and use johnnies. It's been like that for Sunderland, hasn't it? Yeah, you, you spend a lot of time at, at the beach in the northeast there, don't you? <laughs> a South End beach, actually. Yeah, yeah it's, those memories they won't shift. It has been one thing after another, and you thought in the summer when they appointed Simon Grayson, really experienced manager at this level, that that could have been a turning point, and, and it wasn't. I thought David Moyes was a good signing. Uh, I thought Simon Grayson was a good signing, even more so because of the troubles at Leeds um, and, and how well he did there. Um, Chris Coleman, of all their recent managers, is the one that I had my doubts over. Um, what, what do you make of it, Ian? Well, for a start, I think very clever management telling the players to go out and celebrate because I'm, I'm sure for, for long periods um, there has been black clouds and, and, and even when you, you get a, a win, you know, there's fans there saying, OK, well, <laughs> you know, this this might be just a, a, a one-off. And, and you can get yourself as a player into a rut. Um, you don't want to go home. You don't want to be around your friends. You know, people are, are, are ready to knock you. And all of a sudden you get a win. Go and enjoy it. It's what we all want. Fans love love to celebrate, don't they? And, and players are just the same. Well, George Honeyman said after the game, uh, all the lads in the dressing room were saying how much we'd missed this feeling. Um, so you get you get the sense that this is like a, a it may look like a routine victory at Burton, but this is a really big thing for the character of the squad. I think so, but we probably need to put it into context a little bit. Burton obviously decided the smallest budget in the division. They'd lost the previous five at home, conceded 17 goals over that period. So for a Sunderland side, with still some seasoned Premier League professionals in the team, it probably was must win and should win, really. There you go. There's somebody else again. Uh, ready, ready to knock them. Uh, you know, they beat, they beat lowly Burton. That's, it's a win. A win's a win. It's does. three points. It's away from home. Just grow the belief. He grows. He goes to the gym. He gets his energy levels up, and then it's hate, hate, hate. Um, having said that, I've watched the game, and Burton were probably the better team in the first half, weren't they? Um, but once Sunderland had scored... Um, Matt, it, it, the change in them was quite obvious, wasn't it? In that last five minutes. In yeah. that last five minutes against the division's smallest club, they looked really good. No, it really was, because they, they scored the first goal and they had a lot of belief and they were backed by their amazing support. I mean, for, you know, for those fans to, to go every single week and cheer them on, it's just brilliant. But they uh, the second goal was actually some nice football, brilliant counter-attacking move. Graban won the ball in midfield, uh, strode forward and then played a nice pass out to Joel Osoro, who looks like he'll probably get involved under Chris Coleman a bit more. He brought him on against Aston Villa last week as well and he played an excellent ball in for Honeyman to, to finish it off and you could just su- suddenly see the belief about the side um, well, he, He's really won over the fans already uh, Tom Walsh in the Sunderland Echo uh, he said where predecessors have talked us down labelled us as unmanageable and failed to grasp what this club is about Coleman is making us stick out our chests and hold our heads high How important is it for a manager to set that tone right from the start? Well, he, he's coming back off the, off the confidence of, of, of Wales and um, you know what they did in the Euros qualifying I know the disappointment of not qualifying for the World Cup but, but he, you know he, he's grown that nation um, he took on a tough job taking on from from Gary Speed, and and you know he he certainly worked with it over the is it four or five years. It, I think he, you know he 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 really got that nation proud of of, of their team again, uh, and you know he's going to take that into into club football and Sunderland, like you say, it's it's a a big football in uh, hotbed. Um, the fans are passionate about their club and, and he wants that passion to come out not only in the fans but the players uh, and, and you've got to walk out 
and, and have broad shoulders when you play at a stadium alike. It's certainly a change of mood from uh, the one that David Moyes brought with him, which, in, in fairness, I always thought was just kind of understandable realism, but it didn't exactly strike a chord when he said we should absolutely be expecting a relegation battle. It's not the same feeling that Ellis Short, uh, still the owner, um, has of the club. He said this at the start of this November... He said, this club, the size that it is, the fan base that it has, belongs in the Premier League. I'm with that. And that's where we want to be. We should be trying to finish in seventh place in the Premier League every season. There are six clubs with revenue much higher than ours as a function of better sponsorship and higher ticket prices and higher attendances. But we should be fighting for that seventh spot. In a good season, maybe sixth or fifth. In a bad season, tenth or twelfth. Sunderland's good seasons haven't been the bad seasons. Um, is is he quite insane or is that just where you'd hope a chairman's ambition should be? He did caveat that though by saying obviously we're in a bit of a crisis at the moment so I think he clearly recognises that the situation that they've got themselves in the, the difficult thing is he, he blames a lot of it on bad spending and poor recruitment and it isn't just down to that. There's clearly a culture at the club that has been there for years of just uh, accepting failure in in some ways and, and hoping that they can find a quick fix of appointing a new manager to turn it around and that's the pressure that's on Chris Coleman's shoulders now. And We've seen with Chris Coleman before when he left Real Sociedad, his next job was at Coventry and it was a similar position really to the way Sunderland are, a side that was spiralling down through the divisions and eventually they finished 19th in uh, I think it was his third season there and, and he was sacked and you wonder if he's made another bad choice now. Yeah, Matt's really not feeling this, well, is he? I, I think, you know, Chris, I, I don't know him you know, too, too well. I've, I've come up against him, uh, whether it's been playing or, or managing. Um, he strikes me as someone who would do his homework. I, he strikes me as someone who wouldn't jump into something if he was, if he was, you know, not sure about something. I, 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 I would think, you know, from the outside looking in, that, you know, discussions have taken place that there would be investment for him, possibly in January. Um, get themselves out of this hole that they're in, uh, and then hopefully build towards uh, a promotion push. Now. Who's to say that that promotion push still can't be this season? There's a lot of points to play for, which he rightly pointed out when he took over. And um, you know he was saying all the right things, which, which I believe will give his players confidence, will give the club a bit of confidence. Um, it'll unite the fans. Certainly this win will have, have gone a, a short way to, to, to bridging that gap as well. And um, you know if they can get themselves on a roll, Sunderland is a club that, and I think when Roy Keane took over, you know, that happened as well. And all of a sudden, they found themselves in the promotion places. There's no reason to believe that it, you know, it's a big ask this season, uh, and there's probably no pressure on him to do it this season. But again, great for the fa- uh, great for the players. Well, it's certainly not unprecedented because I believe it was about this time of year that uh, Ian Dowie took over at Crystal Palace about 12, 13 years ago, and he managed to get them up yep. from the relegation zone all the way into the playoffs. But and we Roy might... Keane as well. Yeah, though Roy Keane did take over in in August. Um, but uh, but no, Ian Dowie certainly did it. And uh, I mean, you never know. Personally, if I was a Sunderland fan, I'd be kind of more inclined just to hope not to get drawn into the relegation battle and worry about next season, next season. But th- all that said, they have Reading at home on Saturday. If you've got a stadium alight with over 30,000 people in it and they're all in a good mood. I've been there many times as a reporter. That's a loud, passionate place. Um, every bit as loud when it gets going at St. James's Park. So you never know. This could be the start of something. Yeah, I mean, I think it is a big ask for them. And, you know, a home tie against Reading is a difficult one to predict because how many times have we seen Reading this season? We thought, yeah. oh, they'll lose that one or they'll win that one. And, and you know, they beat Derby 4-2 away from home the other week and, and then they go and lose again. Uh, so, it's yeah, it's, it's going to be a difficult one to, to guess, really. But I think 
Chris Coleman for all his achievements with Wales and he, he played some interesting tactical styles. He had uh, a back three there with wing backs, which was um, they that sort of beat Belgium 1 0 in qualifying for, for the Euros. And then obviously reached the semi-finals at the, the tournament proper. But I think his biggest achievement was cultivating that team spirit. And even with Gareth Bale on the side, the team was always the star. That was the, the attitude there. And that's what Sunderland need more than anything right now. Now, I want to be very, very clear on this next bit that I'm not comparing this boy to Gareth Bale. Only saying that he offers something that they haven't got. Um, Joel Osoro, 18-year-old from Sweden. I saw him actually in a pre-season friendly for Sunderland under Moyes. He is so fast. Um, I haven't seen enough of him to know what kind of a player he is. Coleman obviously thinks he's worth bringing him off the bench now. Um, and, and Coleman does, of course, have that record of building a team around one player with one particular strength. Now, again, Asoro, not Gareth Bale. Be very clear on that. But he's got experience in tinkering with a team to make use of one thing. Yeah, and having worked with the best like Gareth Bale, that's a brilliant inspiration for someone like Joel Asoro, who's just coming through as an 18-year-old for Chris Coleman to say, look, this is how he models his game, this is what he worked on at your age, and this is the level that you should aspire to. So I think, he, yeah, he's given him game time in, in the last in his first two matches in charge, and it was a, a great ball, great bit of wing play for the second strike against Burton, so someone with a lot of promise. Right, well, they play Reading at home on Saturday, and uh, we may find out if we've been either too harsh or far too nice for Sunderland. After the break, it's the Fan League. Listeners, you like stats, and so do I. So have a bang on this one. 81% of men who try the Cornerstone Razor don't go back to their old one. I know. Find out more and get £10 off your first order and free delivery too at cornerstone.co.uk slash totally. He's not Gareth Bale. Welcome back. It's the Fan League. You know what the Fan League is by now. It's essentially the football pools. But on your phone, you get a slip. 13 games, just pick home win, away win or a draw. Um, and you find it on the App Store by searching for Fan League. Ian, I'm very much afraid you'll have to sit this one out as you are active in the football community right now. Um, so it's just over to Matt. Matt, first on our slip is Sheffield Wednesday against Hull. Pick the bones out of that. Well, Hull are on a real terrible run of form at the moment. And like we said in the roundups, Leonard Slutsky thinks it would be normal for the club to get rid of him. And we've discussed it before. Is he looking for a way out? He clearly doesn't seem entirely comfortable there. And it's, it's a bit of a shame, really, the way it's gone. Because when he came into the club in the summer, he was a real breath of fresh air. And he, uh, I remember after his, his first game in charge, he was saying it's just wonderful to be managing in England, something he'd always, always dreamt of. And... And yeah, it hasn't worked out very well for him, even though they've scored a lot of goals Hull going forward. So they'll probably be a threat again, attacking-wise, against Sheffield Wednesday. Carlos Carvajal, another manager under a lot of pressure always because of the high expectations there. But I think Sheffield Wednesday will win this one. Yeah, four draws in the last six games for Sheffield Wednesday, um, though the other two were, were wins. So the, there's something there, um, not quite getting into it. I sat in Leonard Slutsky's hotel room in a like entirely normal way and I said to him in the kindest way I could are you sure you know what you're getting into here you sure I mean it's it is Hull there's a lot of problems here who's so buoyant and so confident um it's it's a real shame I don't think they're that far off I think they just look like they need a couple of results back to back and then they could get back on the fringes of the playoffs but confidence is a precious thing I'm going to go draw here just because I really like Leonard Slutsky 
You're going home win. Yeah, home win. All right. Uh, Preston QPR, another very tough one to um, to pick. Preston haven't won in a while. Um, and QPR, just give up with. Help me out here, Matt. Well, when was last away victory for QPR? I think you have to go back to February this year. I can't see them uh, going away to a Preston side who picked up that brilliant result away at Bristol City recently, got another point on the road at Norwich over the weekend. I, I can't see QPR winning that one, to be honest. I think Preston oh, I victory. You get a result like they did last night and that, that changes everything, doesn't it? That, that, that's going to feel like a win. So I'm, I'm going to say QPR maybe to sneak this one. Yeah, yeah, that's how I live. Right on the edge. Uh, I think there's a shock here. Sheffield United, they were absolutely flying, playing some really decent football. They lost 5-4 to Fulham. They drew with Birmingham. And now they've got to go to Millwall. And Millwall have got a habit of turning teams over there when you least expect it there. I reckon Millwall are going to win this. Yes, yeah, similar to QPR. Millwall, really strong at home. Don't travel very well at all. And Sheffield United, a little bit of a wobble, perhaps, after a lot of people have been praising them recently in the way they've been playing under Chris Wilder. But Liam Clark's still among the goals, isn't he? And I think when you've got a striker in form like that, and Billy Sharp as well, who's, who's bagged plenty this season, then they're going to be a threat. And I, I'm going for draw, entertaining draw, I think, maybe 2-2. Two, two. Yeah, I, I just think that there's a recalibration of expectations required there. If Sheffield United were 8th or ninth, having come up last season, you'd be saying, wow, that's a really, really good season. Um, I certainly hope if they do drop off, it isn't taken as you know overly negative um, when they've been so good. Final game on the slip, talking of teams being so good, Bristol City still cracking away, um, and they've got Middlesbrough at home. How do you feel about this? No more puns. Uh, you've made that very clear. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, Brist- Bristol City, I mean, what a comeback against Hull in the last 20 minutes or so there at the weekend. And they're just doing brilliantly under Lee Johnson. Always very strong up forward. Bobby Reid in brilliant form. Fantastic gif celebration on Twitter. Again That's at the amazing, weekend. isn't it? Yeah, I-, I-, I absolutely love that. And Bristol City aside, I'd really like to get to Ashton Gate and, and see them play because they're-, they're a very exciting team. Yeah, I think they're going to win this as well. Borough struggling to get in their stride, so uh, we'll both put home win down for that. Hey, if you want to join the Totally Football League League, uh, you can do so uh, via the app. Just um, apply to be my friend. That's how it works. Just type in Ian McIntosh, Ian with two eyes, and you can link up with our league, and together we can stop Matt Jenkins, who is running away with it right now. Join our league, stop Matt Jenkins. That's the fan league. When we come back, it's League One. Welcome back to the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill and it's time for League One. Shrewsbury have fallen. I repeat, Shrewsbury have fallen. They have the better of their top-of-the-table clash with Bradford in every department except the one that counts, losing thanks to an Aristote and Charlotte own goal and they are no longer top. That honour belongs to Wigan, who produced what their coach Anthony Barry called one of the performances of the season, beating Rotherham 3-1 away from home. And Scunthorpe, who we spoke about last week, they move into third after a Josh Morris-inspired 2-0 win over Cholton. Erhun Oztumer grabbed his 24th goal for Walsall on his 60th league appearance with a cracker in a 2-1 win at Wimbledon, while Blackburn came from behind to beat Bristol Rovers 2-1 at Ewood Park to climb up to fifth. 
and Doncaster also staged a fight back at home to MK Dons, winning 2-1 in Darren Ferguson's 100th game in charge. Guys, I am worried about Peterborough. I thought they were back on track when they beat Portsmouth in midweek, but the early league leaders were felled at the weekend by struggling Rochdale. Not that it cheered up Dale boss Keith Hill. He was furious with the home fans for what he felt was a lack of support. And if there's one thing we know about outbursts like that, it's that they always end well. Plymouth boss Derek Adams wasn't happy either, but his rage was reserved for the quality on display in their 1-0 defeat by Portsmouth. Vis-a-vis, there wasn't any. And elsewhere, Southend failed to beat Oxford United, sharing the points after a one-all draw. Fleetwood, nil. Blackpool, nil. Gillingham, nil. Oldham, nil. Northampton, nil. Bury, nil. Outstanding effort and application, well done. Right, let's have a look at Bristol Rovers then. Uh, Regular listeners will know that the original names of clubs is one of my favourite things. I'm still very, very happy to have discovered that Rotherham were born out of a long-dead Victorian football club called Luna Rovers. Uh, I'm not sure we'll beat that. Uh, Bristol Rovers' original name in 1883, Matt? I do not know. The Black Arabs. How problematic is that? But we're going to have to work our way through. It's because they wore black shirts and they played on the next door pitch to a rugby club called the Arabs. They changed it very quickly, thank God. They became Eastville Rovers in 1884, Bristol Eastville Rovers in 1897, and then in 1899, Bristol Rovers. Uh, They were part of the 1920 club, joining the Football League there and rattling about in the third division for 33 years. But then they recorded their highest finishes. In 1956 and 1959, sixth place in the second flight. It's been downhill since then. Do you know the closest they've come to European football? It was in 1992. They had to toss a coin with West Ham for the right to play in the Anglo-Italian Cup. And the coin tossing was conducted by West Ham over the phone. (laughs) Now, call me naturally suspicious, but I'd be a little bit worried about that. I can't believe they went for it. Um... Bristol Rovers had a decent time of it under Jerry Francis in the late 80s. Uh, Ian Holloway started his managerial career in the 90s. But even with goal scorers like Barry Hales and Jamie Curtin and Nathan Ellington, they never quite pushed on. They got out of the basement with Paul Trollope and Lenny Lawrence in 2007, fell back in 2011, and then they tumbled into non-league in 2014. But under the stewardship of one Daryl Clark, they bounced straight up to the Football League through the playoffs and then straight up again in their first season back. They finished 10th last season and they looked like they were going to do better than that this year, especially when they thumped Northampton 6-0 in October. But since then, Matt, they've lost six of their last seven. They have. It's a really concerning run of form. They've dropped to 18th and Daryl Clark, as you say, impressive young manager who likes his team to play uh, attacking style football, which happened against Northampton and hasn't really happened since. Well, you spoke to him, so uh, let's let's hear from him right now. I mean, if you look at the the history of, of where we've come in the last three and a half years, we, you know, we were a new team to the division last year and had a highest finish in 17 years and and uh, back-to-back promotions before that. So I think if you look at it, sometimes it, it, it evens itself out a little bit and you, you do a bad run and that's what we're certainly on at the minute. So as soon as we get the next win on the ball, hopefully that turns the corner. It's a, like I say, it's a tough competitive league. This one with a lot of championships, shall we call it, infrastructure clubs in the in the division. It's getting harder and harder. We're doing all our best so we can compete as possible. We want to just keep moving the club forward. So, But the Christmas period is going to be vital for us and, and make sure that we turn, turn the corner as quickly as we possibly can and I'm sure that's coming around the corner. Do you want a fact about Bristol, Matt? I'd love another fact about Bristol. One less problematic, if possible. (laughs) Uh, Rye Beaner, 
was invented by a University of Bristol scientist in 1933 at the National Fruit and Cider Institute. Their gift to the world. Isn't it? Isn't it? Um, back to Rovers, though. Uh, what, what is going wrong? Is it injuries? Are they missing anyone? Yeah, absolutely. They're missing Billy Bowden, the forward. Uh, well, he, he was back against Blackburn. I think he played 76 minutes and he uh, came off the bench in the previous game as well. But it's it's definitely no coincidence that his six-week injury absence coincided with their terrible run of form. And uh, they, they've lost six in a row in all competitions now, nine out of the last ten. And he's really their best attacking talent. There was talk of a £500,000 bid from a championship club in the summer for him. So having a player of that quality missing from your side in League One is a huge blow. Uh, Ian, have you seen much of Billy Bowden? Yeah, I have, yeah. Um, talented player. And, and when a, a club like Bristol Rovers loses their, their star player, if you like, then it, it's um, it's tough for them to, to replace him. You know, it's not as if you're a Premier League club that can go spend millions on, on, on players that have got 22 players. So if one's out injured, the, uh, another one can come in their place. So, you know, to lose someone, uh, and, and his goals has been important this year for them and it's um, you know suddenly you haven't got that you've got to fill the void somehow and and you know unfortunately they've gone on a poor run but hopefully you know his return will coincide with an upturn of, of form for Bristol Rovers um, Ian you played with Daryl um, what, what kind of character is he? Yeah he was a young lad at Mansfield when um, when I was there and, and he's um, you know he's done very very well with the you know his career as a player um, you know I think he, he went into non-league um, I think he, he he obviously cut his teeth in in, in non-league management as well, um, and you know I think I think has, has done fantastically well with with the Bristol Rovers side. That that there's pressure there, you know. There's it's a, a city that that's got two two football clubs. Bristol City are, are doing well at this moment in time, so you know the stick that that he'll be getting as a Bristol Rovers manager is um, will, will be really, you know, people won't be able to to really fathom out unless you've been in that position. And, um, you know, there, there's a pressure for him to, to continually achieve. Now, I think this is his first black period in, in you know, in, in, in his uh, in his career at Bristol Rovers. So, you know, I think he should be given a little bit of leeway. Um, he's the sort of character who will, who will galvanise players. He'll he'll not let them lose confidence for too long. And um, he's, he's a good character to have around the place. And you, you spoke there about... Uh... Bristol City doing well and that makes it even harder really for Daryl Clark in this run of form and Bristol City obviously poached his top scorer Matty Taylor last season as well so making it even more difficult for them. This is what their new owner Wael El Caddy said at a Soccer X event in September 2017. Of course um his family bought the club in February 2016. Uh, September 2017, he said he was building up a club from scratch and he pointed to what is now a well-staffed academy, um, a development squad, backroom staff. He said, we're working on the training ground, building it up slowly. I believe when you have everything in place, that's when you can start having something which is sustainable and your squad can start competing properly. Um, he also had lots to say uh, about Daryl Clark. Um, he said was a very talented young manager. Um, and it, it seems generally, you know, the, the kind of fears that y- you would have when uh, owners come in from overseas that they might not get it, he seems to get it. Yeah, I think a long-term focus is definitely what you want to hear from a new owner. And if, if they're working on investing in the youth facilities and the coaching there, then that's going to serve them well in the long run, uh, as long as they don't lose out under E-P-P-P-P-P-P. All the P's. Um, financially... Turnover is up. It's all the way up to £5 million now, though losses are also up £3 million 
it should be said that a lot of them are considered exceptional from the ongoing legal battle with Sainsbury's because uh, they do have ambitions to build a new stadium uh, over at Stoke Gifford, but that development collapsed in the summer, so they've pretty much had to start again as far as I understand. Um, one of the things here, it's expectations, isn't it? It's been back-to-back promotions, a season of consolidation, and now a bad run. Uh, Chris Lyons in the Football League paper, it's £1.50, just £1.50. He said it's been nothing but success over the last few years. The expectation level has got really high now because the fans have been used to seeing us win more often than not. It hasn't been much fun for the fans to watch us this season, and we need to make sure they enjoy watching week in, week out. I have to say, I spent this morning trawling through Bristol Rovers forums trying to, you know, gauge the mood and pick out some nasty sound bites. I'd say the majority is still very much behind him. Yeah, and so they should be because he's had a lot of success there and brought them some decent performances as well this season even. I mean, you know, to go away to Northampton, flash them 6-0, there's not many sides that have away victories like that over the course of a campaign. And I think uh, they were probably gutted at the weekend after taking a lead against Blackburn and that could have been a result really to turn around this poor form. But they just came up against the Blackburn side that are in such good form at the moment and have so much firepower that it was difficult to, to really hold them off. Yeah, that was uh, Blackburn's third win on the bounce, wasn't it? That's right, third win on the bounce and looking for a fourth against Blackpool tonight. And uh, it all went very wrong very quickly. Um, uh, Ellis Harrison had actually given Bristol Rovers the lead. Blackburn back in two minutes later with Charlie Mulgrew penalty and then Dominic Samuel getting a winner six minutes afterwards. Uh, Daryl Clark said, we've got to keep going. There's a lot of good things out there, a lot of good performances. The fans were superb. We've just got to brush ourselves down. Ian, as a manager, how how hard is it to keep your chin up when you've you've got... Yeah, the results are going against you and some maybe a small percentage of the fans are going against you. Yeah, I think you've already said it. I think supporters have to have a sense of realism. Bristol Rovers, back-to-back promotions, like you say, a year of, con- year of consolidation. You know, what, what do they expect? What's the next level? What, yeah, everyone wants to have a promotion run. Of course they do. But they've no divine right in League One to go through that division and, and, and romp away with it. You know, you've got you, you've spoken about Blackburn and the riches they've got. I know Scunthorpe uh, are in the, the top four or five of biggest payers Scunthorpe you know they average 4,000 I think this season you know so for Bristol Rovers to to, to go on a uh, again another promotion push you know we really have to have a, a real sense of realism about it and, and uh, there has to be that building period and, and this might be that, that period in the in their um, in their, their history at the moment where they, they do consolidate they do improve the, the infrastructure they do manage to, to steadily build that squad and then maybe next year you have another push but but to you know, to question the manager, what he's done there, you know, on the back of a six or seven game spell, is um, is, is madness. It's crazy, uh, and and Daryl needs that support, and it sounds as though he's got that support from the owners, from the chairman, um, quite rightly, uh, and and everyone needs to pull together to try and get themselves through that sticky spell, and that's all it is, six games, um, you know, and 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 say see where they are after Christmas, after a busy period, and and, and go on from there. Well, if you want to lend your support, um, tickets start at £16, which is very good. Uh, the, M- the Memorial Stadium is just off the A38, or the Bristol Road, and parking at the stadium is for permit holders only, but there's plenty of free parking about a 10-minute walk away. Or just take the train. The stadium is a brisk two-mile jaunt from the city centre. When we come back, League Two. Welcome back. By the way, thank you very much for all your feedback. Uh, we, we put out an appeal for feedback as we look 
for what to do with the Totally Football League show in association with William Hill uh, through 2018. Um, you had loads of ideas. Some of them were unnecessarily mean, but I haven't showed them to Matt yet. Um, some of them very, very constructive as well. So we're really looking forward to what we can do. We've got a great big meeting on Friday so we can start to look forward. If you want to add anything to our big list of uh, useful ideas and hate mail, um, send us a message. We're on Twitter at The Totally Show. We're on Facebook at The Totally Football Show. We're on Instasnaps at The Totally Football Show as well, I believe. So send us your messages. We'll filter through them carefully and uh, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll stay in touch. It'll be lovely. It's the League Two Roundup. It looked like Notts County had let three points slip between their fingers on Saturday when Colchester's Samniel Lucy cancelled out Shola Amiobi's opener in the 89th minute. Alas, poor Colchester. County's Ryan Yates won the game in injury time. Injuries aren't stopping Newport County from surpassing expectations this year. Ben Toza secured three big points away at Swindon. And how bad is Jack Lester's luck at Chesterfield? 2-1 up on local rivals Mansfield and Xander Diamond pops up to make it 2-all at the death. Mark McGee's mini-moon is over at Barnet as the Bees crash to a 2-0 defeat at home to Grimsby. And after they were both hit for seven by Luton, Cambridge and Stevenage looked to be going easy on each other before Uche Pizu popped up late on to win it for Sean Derry's side. While Morecambe picked up a precious point on the road with a 1-1 draw at Carlisle. No one has scored more goals in English football than Christian Doidge in 2017 and the hotshot Forest Green striker hit another on Saturday in the Gloucestershire derby. Sadly for him, Mohamed Issa responded to earn a point for Cheltenham. After back-to-back defeats, Lincoln boss Danny Cowley called this the longest week of his career. He's alright now though, comfortable 3-1 winners over Port Vale. And we'll hear more about them in a bit, but Wickham Wanderers are charging into the playoffs. And after what happened to them at Wembley in 2015, they deserve a bit of luck there. They beat Yeovil 2-1 with another goal for rising star Eberechi Easy. Coventry began life without the injured Jody Jones by grinding out a 1-1 draw against Crawley. While Luton kept their powder dry, for them at least, with a 2-1 win away to struggling crew. And Exeter bounced back from successive defeats to beat Accrington Stanley 2-0. Wickham Wanderers and Matt, do you know why Wickham are called the Chair Boys? Don't worry, it's not racist. No, I don't. <laughs> okay, it's because pretty much everyone in Wickham made chairs. Windsor chairs, to be precise. In 1887, there were over 100 chair factories in Wickham, churning out 5,000 chairs a day. It was said that High Wickham was the chair-making capital of the world, primarily, according to Daniel Defoe at least, because of the large quantity of beechwood trees in the Buckinghamshire forest. By the way, any email that calls for the abolition of my history section will be deleted instantly. I live for this. Wickham were formed by chairmakers in 1887. Uh, like most clubs at this time, they were formed in a pub. The Steam Engine pub, to be precise. They were avowedly amateur, playing in the Spartan League, winning the Amateur Cup at Highbury in 1931 in front of 32,000 fans. And they played at Lokes Park, a ground they would come to own in 1947 when Frank Adams, a former player, bought the deeds from Lord Carrington and handed them to the club. If future generations obtain the same enjoyment out of Lokes Park as it has given me in the past, then this gift will have been worthwhile, he said. Possibly not exactly like that. And it was worthwhile. They stayed until 1990 when they moved to a new ground, named Adams Park in recognition of their venerable benefactor. Martin O'Neill was manager by then, of course. He won the FA Trophy in 91, narrowly missed out on promotion to the Football League that year. But in 92, he won the conference and the FA Trophy again, just to make sure. They went straight up to the third division, winning the playoffs in their first league season. And they nearly did it again the following year, which would have been ridiculous. O'Neill, evidently quite good at this management business, he left and Wickham 
Boom never finished in the top ten of the third flight again. They clung on for a long time, though. They dropped to the fourth division only in 2004. Uh, they experienced consecutive promotions and relegations in 2009, 10, 11 and 12. And they were cruelly denied another promotion by uh, <laughs> Southend United at Wembley in 2015. But they might be getting it together now, and that's why we sent you, Matt. It is, yeah. They're playing well this season, up in the playoff positions, and... Gareth Ainsworth seemed pretty optimistic about their form. One question, though, Matt. The the little travel section we do, guiding you to the stadium, would it be helpful if we did that in advance to stop you getting lost? Yeah, if you could do that the week before, <laughs> that'd be much appreciated. Where did you end up? I, I made it to Adams Park. I got there in the end, but I, I, for some reason I thought it was walking distance from the train station. It is walking distance. It's about an hour's walk in freezing cold. <laughs> And having to stop and ask for directions off several people, but I got there. Um, Wickham has won piles of Family Club of the Year awards. Um, is it is it really nice? It is, yeah. It's yeah. it's a really friendly club, and I've been a couple of times actually, and it's a warm welcome every time. And you're also greeted by that garish goalkeeper shirt in the club shop window, which uh, I, I tweeted a picture of the other day, and people were still in absolute shock at, about that. It was the kind of thing that uh, George Campos would put back, isn't it? And go, no, I'm not that mad. Yeah, definitely. It was pretty hideous. Um, um, they are known as the chairmakers, which is a good thing after what you did when you turned up. Yeah, well, I was sort of clambering over rows of seats to get to the press section, and uh, I think I might have broken a chair, actually, because it, it sort of, instead of uh, reverting to its normal upright position, it just sort of sat sadly, and uh, yeah, I just quickly <laughs> made, made a quick exit. Uh, tell me about the game. Uh, they won, first of all, didn't they? They did win and uh, they played really well in the first half and I thought they were probably going to win 5 or 6 nil once, once they opened the scoring and then got a penalty. But Yeovil came back quickly and then in the end it was pretty close really and what should have been a straightforward victory for Wickham was uh, a few nervy moments at the end. Now you can't really talk about Wickham without discussing uh, Adebayo Ekinfenwa um, who presumably has a very, very big custom-made chair. Uh, he's, he's the bumblebee theory, isn't he? Like He should technically be too heavy for any kind of operation at this level. And yet he's probably one of the best players in the league. What do you make of him, Ian? Well, I've, I came up against him when he was a, a little bit younger. Really? Um, was, it, was he the same size? Was, oh, he was massive, yeah. <laughs> it wasn't a pleasant experience, but, um, you know, he, you could say he, he was raw in them days. He still looks raw now, but he, he, he's very effective. Um, not surprised that he's still still playing at a football league level. Um, and he's he scores goals. He's a, a talisman for, for any club that he plays for. And I think um, Gareth probably very pleased that he's, he's got him on his side. As a player, do you have any kind of special tactic for dealing with a player of that size? Do you know what? so unprecedented well when you're playing against him if you're a centre half if you get too tight to him and you try and have a grapple you know you're going to come off second best <laughs> so um, maybe giving him a, a bit of space for his first touch and reacting off of his first touch um, and certainly keep your eye on him when, he, when you're in and around the box um, he's going to outmuscle you more often than not um, so you've got to try and read the flight of the ball and, and, and the direction of it uh, producer Ben uh, met uh, Adebayo Ekinfenwa backstage at the recent WWE event at Wembley, uh, which is wrestling, for those who do not know. Um, he was <laughs> Producer Ben says he had an entourage of similarly built gentlemen with beast mode baseball caps, and he's bigger than most of the wrestlers. So uh, it's possible that there is a career waiting for him. It's possible that he could be going into politics. Gareth Ainsworth said of him, uh, I was speaking to Akinfenwa here, and he agrees with me. Society's breeding softer people, not problem solvers. God help us in 20 years. Um, so, you know, maybe... I'd vote for him. <laughs> you'd have to, wouldn't you? Uh, maybe a job at LBC. 
on oh, Patreon. Oh, I believe there's a column going at the Daily Mail now as well. Um, elsewhere, let's talk about Gareth Ainsworth, Ian, because uh, he's been in charge for over five years. And again, like the Bumblebee, that shouldn't really be possible at this level. Um, what kind of manager is he? Yeah, it's a rarity in these days. And then he's, um, he's someone who's had to scrimp, scrape, borrow, beg. Um, but he's made it work for Wickham. He's a, he's a good fit. He's um, still heavily involved in the in the playing side of it. I spoke to him yesterday. I was at the uh, QPR's training ground watching their under-23s and, and Gareth was there actually and, and obviously looking for, for possibilities in January. Um, he's already taken a, a striker from, from QPR, as you've mentioned. Um, easy, Ezzy. I'm not sure how you, you pronounce it, but he's a, he's a very, very good player, talented young boy, and, and I think um, it'll do well to keep hold of him beyond January. Yeah, let's, so he, let's talk about him, because he's scoring freely. Um, he, he's a real talent. We have Chris Ramsey in here not so long ago. He was raving about him as well. Um, how good can he be? He can. He could be anything. And, and say, I think someone that QPR would, would like back in their ranks. Uh, it was right to send him out on loan, I think. 23's football isn't always looked at as a... Um, as, as a, a good marker to, to go on to the, the next level and, and for him to go out and get get the experience at League 2 level with, with Wickham has done him the world of good and he'll come back full of confidence and hopefully he'll be able to then take that form into the second half of the season albeit in the, in the Championship um, Matt um, do you want to know some famous Wickomians? I'd love to Of course you would uh, Ian Jury of Blockheads fame Jimmy Carr Matt Dawson T.S. Eliot is there anyone else in this Wickham team besides the gentleman we've mentioned who could stand alongside them? <laughs> their place secured in history for their achievements at Adams Park. Well, easy was the play that I was going to talk about <laughs> as well. To, to be totally honest with you, what do you think of him? Uh, yeah, he's a special talent, definitely. I actually think he could be Premier League bound eventually really? because he, he looks that good. Certainly, he started out at Arsenal, moved on to Millwall, and he's moved around a little bit in his youth career. And then QPR snapped him up, did really well for them, got his debut there, and then he's on loan until the, the end of January from from Wickham. But um, he's quick footed, excellent at receiving the ball, good vision, and a cracking shot on him. And he's scored some brilliant goals already this season. Went close a couple of times before his opener on Saturday, and then played a part in uh, setting up the chance. For that ended up in a penalty as well. And Matt doesn't give his love away freely. Um, he has previously recommended Ollie Watkins as a Premier League player, and if you watched the game last night, you'll have seen a bit of him. And the only other player we've really raved about is Giovanni Brown at Cambridge, isn't he? Yeah, definitely. Uh, and I, I think with uh, Easy, one of the uh, interesting things when I was speaking to him after the game actually at the weekend is he was telling me how he's been called up for a Nigeria training camp already and uh, was involved in that at Barnet earlier this year. So. You wonder, I mean, I did ask him, are you an outside bet for a World Cup place maybe? And uh, he was a little bit coy about that, but way he's playing five goals in 14 games and his first real senior campaign in, in football, uh, you know, there's, there's perhaps a chance. He's, a, he's an example of a young player that's probably gone from place to place, maybe been a little bit immature. I don't know, so I'm, I'm, you know, don't hold me to that, but um, trying to find the right club for him. For, for for himself to to flourish, having a manager like Ian Holloway, he'll be on his back all the day, all all the time. He'll um he'll, he'll want him to do the right things, but he'll want him to express himself. He's obviously gone to Wickham, uh, and it's important for a young player when they do go out on loan that they're guided as well by the by their football club, by the manager. Um, Gareth Ainsworth, really down to earth fella. Uh, we want young players to to go and express themselves, but he'll want him to work within a team framework. Um, and it's important you've got senior pros around you. That, that also guide you and, and give you that that rollicking when it's when it's when it's due and also give you a, a pat on the back when you've done well and, and the likes of 
uh, Akin Fenwa, like some Marcus Bean, um, and 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 senior players within that setup, Craig McHale Smith, uh, you know, would be perfect for him. Gareth Ainsworth, uh, I love this quote. This uh, this is great. He says, uh, "I'll never stop loving the game, but football's changed from being a sport to being a business." But if you want to hear swear words, see and hear tackles, touch the players almost, then League Two is still there. I love the way he leads with swear words. What do I love about League Two? I would say the swearing first of all. Swearing predominantly. He's such a well-spoken manager as well. I (laughs) never would have had him down as a (laughs) swearer. Well, if you want to go and hear the swearing uh, and see and hear the tackles and touch the players almost, you can get tickets for 22 quid, uh, 17 for young adults, 13 for juniors and kids. Um, though, if you sit in the Origin family stand, you can get them in for free. Get in there. Matt, how should you have done it? <laughs> well, if you're driving, there's plenty of parking around the stadium, uh, but it can be difficult to get away afterwards because, as we discussed, it's on an industrial estate and uh, yeah, there's a narrow funnel coming away from the game. Train station, remember, it's nearly an hour's walk away, so get on a bus or get in a taxi. Just just don't do what I did. <laughs> OK, uh, that's Wickham then. Uh, they are currently fifth in League Two, pushing hard. Keep your eye out for them. After the break, we'll talk to Joe Crilly from William Hill. Hi, welcome back. We are joined by Joe Crilly from William Hill. Joe, where can we find you on Twitter? Should we wish to follow you? Uh, for those, and I, I imagine it's a very small number, I'm uh, at footy underscore Joe. So footy spelt with a Y, not an I-E. Excellent. Um, Akin Femwa. Yeah, you wanted to talk about him. You also have an Akin Femwa sighting. Yes. An annex- I went to a, a boxing tournament a few years ago. In fact, I think it was last year. Uh, and... As I was leaving, Akinfem was outside having a, I wouldn't say an altercation, but a heated word with the bouncer on the door. Uh, he, was, he was wearing his full beast mode uh, gear and he was actually saying, I just want to come in and see my boy Leon. Leon McKenzie was, uh, was fighting at York Hall. Uh, so as I was leaving, I could have actually given him my ticket, but I didn't want to get caught between the, uh, the bouncer and <laughs> another equally immovable object. <laughs> Can't say, if I'm the bouncer, I'll just let him in. Um, yeah, yeah we, we do talk about his size, but uh, his numbers are just as impressive, aren't they? He's um, he's quite surprisingly high up in the in the in the goal related statistics. Yeah, cause he's he's a bit like a, a, a fine cheese, a fine cheese, really. He's uh, he's aging really, really well. Um, there are a lot of people who thought that he was he was maybe finished a couple of years ago, but he just keeps getting involved. Uh, and actually, most goals involved in in the football league, Bonatini from Wolves with seventeen. Akin Fenwa, 17 as well. So both of them leading the charts there. Wow. Um, I was going to say when we were preparing for it, he's, uh, I think he's fifth in the top goal scorers list in League Two, but I must have seen him make five or six um, when I've been watching the goals come through. Um, so, yes, but let's get on. Let's get on for TV games because we've got two really, really good games on the telly. Tell us what we should be looking out for with Leeds versus Villa. Well... We wrote Leeds off last week, didn't we, against we Barnsley? Really and they, uh, <laughs> they, they came and, uh, and proved us wrong. Maybe they uh, metaphorically pinned that to the uh, dressing room <laughs> wall. Um, and they are home against Villa, six to four favourites. Uh, Villa just slightly longer at 15 to eight, but they have in Albert Adoma a player who is in great form at the moment, five goals in three games and he's 9-2 to two to be the first goal scorer there you go uh, Bristol City against Middlesbrough I don't entirely trust Middlesbrough here 
Yeah, well, I, I have written down here in front of me, every time you think they have turned a corner, they go and lose. And, and last week was no different. Uh, a, a terrible result against Derby, compounded by uh, Darren Randolph's mistake. I don't know whether or not you saw it, but he just basically sliced the ball into the air straight to uh, the striker uh, uh, who who smashed it into the back of the net for Derby. Bristol City, we've already spoken about what a great season they're having. They're 29-20 to 20 to win the game. Borough, 9-5, to 5, so just a couple of points longer again in the draw, 12-5. to 5. Let's have a look at the other teams we've featured today. Bristol Rovers are at home to Rotherham. Yes, uh, and bizarrely, uh, Bristol Rovers haven't had a draw all season, uh, but Rotherham are on a terrible run at the moment. Bristol Rovers 13 to 10 for the win. Rotherham 17 to 10. After such a great start for Rotherham, uh, where they were banging goals in for fun, the, uh, the, the, the well, the fun really has uh, stopped for them. Uh, to, to quote a uh, famous slogan, uh, and the draw is five to two. But again, not a single draw for Bristol Rovers all season. And Wickham, um, them on automatic promotion, them being spared the misery of what happened at Wembley in 2015. Well, they're three to one, but given how close it is at the top of the table at the moment, uh, that makes them actually seventh favourites for promotion. So uh, still a little way down on the list, but a long way to go this season. And uh, Sunderland, who could, could win their first home game of the year, and that's calendar year, um, against Reading. What can I get for that? Well, they're five to four, so just a shade above evens. I think we've uh, overreacted quite considerably after their victory against Burton, uh, and they're, they're just a shade above evens. Reading twenty-three to ten, and the draw eleven to four. What could I get if I was completely insane and I thought they could keep going unbeaten until December thirty-first? Well, they're fifty to one, which I think is actually quite short, considering two games from now they've got Wolves away. So uh, I think that's a. a a ridiculous price, a ridiculously short price. <laughs> <laughs> there you go, straight from the horse's mouth. Thank you so much, Joe. You can follow Joe on Twitter at footy underscore Joe. We've just about got time for a few other questions. Um, Ian, the question that we always ask because we just want more names and numbers in our diary, who would you say is your best friend in football? Oh, oui, yeah. I haven't got any friends. <laughs> I'm the wrong person. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> um... No, you, you you do come across a lot of good people. Um, we were talking before the show about um, you know how how many relationships do you strike up within the game, and how do you how many do you keep in in touch with it? it it's very very difficult. Um, I, I spent the last part of my playing career and, and and the early part of my coaching career with Nigel Atkins and Andy Crosby, um, who obviously then went on to to Southampton and and Reading, Sheffield United of late. But um, uh, Andy Crosby is my assistant with the the under twenty ones. Um, and and someone who I've, I've kept in touch with, and uh, a fantastic coach, and someone who uh, I respect greatly, and I hope that you know Nigel gets a job soon, uh, and and Andy will be back in into full time, um, full time work. But uh, you know, him would be, would be one of them. Darren Ward, goalkeeping coach at Sheffield United, they're having a great season, so I wish them well as well. Okay, we'll get on to all of them. Uh, biggest managerial influence in your career? Because you played under Sam Allardyce, didn't you? I did at Notts County. We were part of that uh, that group of players that, that that went up and were promoted by March. Um, fantastic period in 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 the club's history. Um, did very very well, and he was innovative. He was uh, someone who brought sports science across from America, I think, and 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 was really a pioneer of that. Um, you know, Ian Holloway at QPR only had for a short period, but that period stuck with me you know some of his values um ray harford 
RIP. You know, he, he signed me at QPR. He was a great footballing man. David Pleat at Leicester. There was a, a lot of managers that have really influenced the way I think about the game. Um, and and I've, I've only mentioned a few there, but uh, that probably tells you how many clubs I've had in my career. <laughs> um, no, but, but for me, going forward as a manager and a coach, you take the good things and the bad things from that, that experience and, and hopefully mould it to, to something that's more of akin and true to, you, to yourself. Fair enough. Uh, we've got uh, one from Aidan McCartney, Ian. Um, he says, can you ask what Ian regrets most about his time managing Scunthorpe? Regrets? Have I you had, had a, a few. few. <laughs> hey. No, the, the, it was probably too early for me. Um, I, I, you know, I, I thought there was a good chance of us all going to Southampton. Um, for me to be suddenly offered the, the manager's job, and and it was a decision: do I take the job, knowing that it's a, a you know a real backs against the wall to stay in the in the, in the championship that year, um, or do I wait for another manager to come along? And does he want me as his assistant? Um, you know, when it became clear that we weren't all able to go to Southampton, uh, so you know, it, I look back at that as a um, we had some really good results. The first time we dropped into the bottom three was when we got beaten at home by Preston on a Tuesday night, and within half an hour I was sacked. So, half an hour. Um, you know, it was a, a tough tough start, uh, and but fortunately it uh, it gave me some resolve for for the jobs that fortunately have been upcoming. Do you think some of the lessons learned there have stood you in good stead, particularly at Northern Ireland? Yeah, very Ireland? much so. Very much so. The way you deal with, you know, the people above you, you know, let alone the, the players and, and the staff. But, um, you know, every experience has, has, has moulded me to the manager and coach I am now, uh, and hopefully I can add to that. Have you ever had the Carvery? <laughs> we, t- we were talking about last week. It looks fantastic. They do a Carvery every Wednesday. Been saying for weeks now, we've got to go there for our Christmas do. These two aren't interested, but if you fancy it, Ian... Hey, I'm I'm always open. I've got to try and fill my time sometime. We are Some really way. we are really going to have to do this. That is literally exactly almost to the second all the time that we have. Thank you so much for joining us, um, Ian. It's been wonderful to have you, and thank you so much for coming. Thanks for having me. We will be contactable on Twitter um, at the Totally Show. We'll be on Facebook at the Totally Football Show. We're on Instagram at the Totally Football. You can get us all over the place. Um, thank you so much for listening, and we will see you next Tuesday. The Totally Football League Show is a Muddy Knees Media production. For sales and advertising, please email us at sales at muddyneesmedia.com.